Alright, hey, welcome back to Dropping In Surf Show. Today is June 25th, 2020. My name is Rob Case. I'm a surfing paddling coach. I'm recording from Belmarine Keys, California. With me, my co-host is a doctor of physical therapy, Jim Sigelnik, and he is recording from Green Bray, California. Uh, hey Jim, we're doing, uh, you know, I'm mixing it up every time I move my recording around the house, so you'll just mm -hmm. get a tour of the house. Uh, <laughs> no, I like that. One time we got to see uh, your son's artwork, and now it oh, looks yeah. like we got Lori, Gavin, and Ethan. Oh yeah, like so, at the so, lake or something. So that's me. That's not Lori, but oh, I, sorry. I look, I look feminine <laughs> at times. Yeah. You, yeah. you have such soft skin. I, I do. I do. <laughs> if I pull my hair back, I'm yeah. Different. No, uh, that was Crater Lake. And oh yeah, cool. Highly recommend. Have you been there with the kids? I have. Yeah, my dad lives in Oregon. Um, so I've been there a number of times. I grew yeah, up uh, going to Lake Tahoe and thought Tahoe was the most beautiful water on this planet. But then I went there and the kids, you know, you could see they're pretty young in that picture. They went to the rim and they just stopped and just stared. And I was like, mm -hmm. holy cow, this is amazing. They're quiet. They're still. And they're looking at nature. Nature is making them do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was amazed. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty incredible. It's a pretty unbelievable place. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, there's definitely a feeling you get like no other there, like that that power of water or whatever you, whatever you want to call that. It's yeah. like what do they say? It's like the deepest lake in the states, maybe seventh deepest in the world. Someone check my facts, but it's you're a right big body of water. Yeah, yeah, you're right on seventh, and I think it's it is the deepest in the states, if I can remember correctly. We did the yeah. junior ranger program for the kids, and oh cool. Um, we do junior rangers whenever we go to a national park. We'll always do a junior ranger program, and they were like the most strict. They're like, oh, I see you haven't fully filled out page six. I'm like. The kid's five. Like he's not. <laughs> like he's not gonna write a, a theoretical essay on Crater Lake right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. But that's yeah, funny, man. You should get uh, as Gavin gets older, take him to the Muir Woods one because mm -hmm. the badges are made of uh, wood, like the badge that they get, the little pin that they get. So mm -hmm. it's really, really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So what have you been up to this week, man? Yeah, this week, uh, just kind of like making a push, I guess, back towards normalcy. I feel kind of boring because I, I, I think I say that a lot. But uh, yeah, like um, working in the clinic with a mask on, seeing patients, uh, more patients are coming in. You know, we were just talking about like the whole kind of COVID cases off, uh, off our recording. But like as time goes by, you get people that are still afraid to come into a clinic or a hospital and then you get the other whatever 20 or 30 percent that's like kind of been dealing with these niggling pains for so long that they're just so fed up that they're like I don't care I'm coming in um I had a guy who was 66 years old and I kind of go through my script I go yeah you know you you, you do have diabetes you're in that high risk category for age and he goes Jim I don't care about any of that I'm coming in I said okay come in <laughs> you know so like it's really interesting just to see like how dichotomous like people's personalities are and um so it feels good to get back on track um uh, uh recreationally uh, uh since uh we last did one of these i've taken gavin my uh three-year-old son surfing twice once in uh, bolinas and once at like a little local beach in the bay here uh that kicked up some pretty good windswell and um he's been having a lot of fun with that 
Yeah, it was pumping uh, the other day, the wind. Yeah, I, I got off work yesterday and it was howling south wind. And what I've learned is that little beach kicks up like little one, two foot little wind slop. But weirdly enough, it had decent shape. And like if I showed you that beach, you would laugh. You'd go, there's no way you're surfing that. I know exactly you're... which beach you're talking about. I've driven by and I'm like, man, that looks pretty cool. Because it's right yeah. below the bridge, right? Or you can see yeah. the bridge. You're looking right Yeah, there. exactly. Exactly. But like... So no one surfs there. Like, it's not a surf spot, so don't go there and, like, try to surf it. But uh, if you're three years old and you're just doing belly riding, like, it's a hoot because I yeah. can just push him in and actually run along with him. So he's actually on the board by himself now, and he's, like, looking at me, and I'm looking at him. And, he's, you know, we caught some, like, 20, 30-foot rides yesterday. Nice. Um, long, like, horizontal, not obviously face. Um so yeah, it was really cool. Are, do you have fins on the board for him? I'm just this is on uh, the side. Yeah, yeah, that yeah I do. Yeah, nice. I, I should take them out like because they do catch and drag, but uh, yeah. on the sand. But it's a foam board, so no. We'll have to we'll have to coordinate a day because I'm sure these, be cool. uh, my boys would love it too. Uh, oh yeah, it's it'd be a great place. Or Bolinas would be great for everyone. Yeah. Well, I've told yeah. you my son's experience at Bolinas. He doesn't like the rocks on the inside. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's not yeah. a fan. Yeah, I can understand that. What happened to him? Uh, he just hit him. He hit one lightly. And, uh, you know, that one bad experience, you know, it builds yeah. something to do with maybe the topic that we're going to maybe talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you really surprised me uh, this week. You're like, hey, um, uh, sorry, I guess I'll kind of pseudo-introduce what we're going to talk about. Go for it. You, you sent me this article called The Biology of Fear, and maybe we'll, we'll link to this, or uh, definitely on Instagram I'll, I'll put up uh, a citation to it. But it's by this guy named Ralph Adolphs, and he is, uh, let's see, I had it up. He, I, I, could, I was trying to figure out like what his credentials are, but what he has here is in a, the Division of Humanities and Social Science, Sciences at California Institute of Tech in Pasadena. Yeah, Caltech. It, He's a super smart guy. He's super smart, and he wrote this article called The Biology of Fear, and you prefaced it with like, hey, let's read this article and, uh, and kind of discuss it a little bit um, on, the, on the next week's podcast, and I said, hey, and, you, and I think you said it's going to be a challenge, and, and uh, I read the article, and it's definitely going to be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's completely outside of both of our wheelhouses. It, it deals with psychology. But what I found about it is it talks about how fear really is something that affects uh, our, our human biology. It, it affects our neurobiology as well as our psychology. And I wanted to relate it to, to surfing. And the reason, I, I, one, I came across this because I, uh, this last Sunday, got the boat surfing up. It was kind of opening day with clients on the boat surfing. Uh, and I had a great time. The participants had a great time. And one participant in particular, we were working on top turn. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to describe a top turn to him. Uh, and something that, that I've always, I have a, a, a major bad habit that my back arm will lay back. I'll do what I call the lay, Larry layback. And it comes from my years of wakeboarding where mm -hmm. you have this boat that's pulling you and you always have this speed and you could lay back, you could see your spray and it'll pull you back upright. But on a surfboard, if you were to do that, you need an extremely high amount of speed 
in order to recover your center of gravity over the board as you compress back down to recover that layback. I don't do laybacks. I do terrible top turns. So when I do a good top turn, like a proper uh, vertical reentry, the way that I've kind of gotten over some of that hump mentally was I explained to them it's kind of like a blind turn because you, as we've discussed, you kind of look away and you don't actually see your board connecting with the lip. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm does. talking about forehand top turn. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute, the backhand bottom turn is actually a similar motion. Mm-hmm. So why am I why am I so terrified of turning my head away from the lip? You know, you aim toward your target, and mm-hmm. before you hit it, you turn your shoulders, you turn your head away, and you never actually see it. Because if you look at your board hitting the lip, and you look for the spray, your shoulders don't turn, your hips don't turn, the board doesn't rotate, right? And you end up doing a layback mm-hmm. with no speed. Mm-hmm. And you see this a lot, right? And um, the bottom turn, backside bottom turn is a very similar rotation. You're turning, you're looking. But because over like my, I, I'm regular foot, so I, I, I turn to my left if I'm doing frontside top or backside bottom turn, the peripheral, you don't you don't see where your board is tracking. It is blind. On the backside bottom turn, I'm totally comfortable doing that. But there was this realization that I think I was fearful of not seeing my board hitting the lip. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's very blind. In wakeboarding, a blind landing is terrifying. Like when you when you jump off the wake and you turn away from the boat and you land with the handle behind your back and you're looking off, like way off behind you, that's a blind landing. And if you catch an edge, it hurts like hell. But that's like in the back of my head, I had this anxiety about these blind moves, these blind maneuvers. Mm -hmm. But this was my big realization coaching him. I said, hey, listen, you have to look away before you hit the lip. And you, you can't watch your spray. I've got you on video, so you, we're gonna see the spray on video, so don't worry. We're gonna be able to see it, so so just look away. And as soon as he started doing that, whip, whip, and he was just like hitting the lip just beautifully. Great timing, right? But it got me thinking about this 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 topic of fear. And, mm-hmm. and is it a fear of getting hurt for me? Like was it a fear of the board slipping off my foot, hitting the lip, and then knocking me in the side of the head? So was it a physical like fear of being harmed or was it a fear of trying it and failing and like mm-hmm. more of a social fear, mm-hmm. right? And so this, this article kind of popped up in my brain based off, that was like kind of what started it. And it got me thinking about all sorts of different questions. So at first, I guess, have you ever experienced something like that? Like in your surfing, like per- your progression, like realizing, you know, I'm kind of fearful of doing this one thing because I don't know how it's going to turn out or I'm fearful that I'm going to fail and people are going to laugh at me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think so. Like I, there was a point in my life where I was like trying to push big waves or bigger waves, small waves to people to ride big waves, big waves for people to ride small waves. And, um, obviously fear came with that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how you describe that. Like it's fear slash 
lack of awareness maybe those are on like the same continuum almost but you know fear being a step up um but i've definitely had feedback like i remember the first time i i don't make a lot of barrels i'm not that great of a surfer but uh the first time i made a barrel like actually in and out i remember trying to keep my eyes open and someone i think it someone told me kelly slater said it, i think that when you go in a barrel like don't close your eyes because then you have like no shot and i remember vividly when i made my first barrel it was like i was just keeping my eyes open and when i came out i had this like aha moment you know and there's there's probably been a lot of aha moments i've had in my surfing like i love how you say like the uh, front side carve is kind of like the backside bottom turn and I started realizing that, and I was like, yeah, the front side bottom turn is kind of like the backside roundhouse, yeah, you know? Yeah, totally, yeah. So, like, if you just nail those two maneuvers, like, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good front side and backside with some basics. But um, had a lot of fear um, trying to push bigger waves. Still have a fear of bigger waves. Um, that, that That's probably the biggest thing that stands out in my, like, surfing experience is, like, dealing with that anxiety fear when a big wave's coming and how to react and um i've definitely had uh i had one scary experience at ocean beach where i thought i was going to drown and actually broke my uh my step up board and um bellied in on half a board and really had to kind of reevaluate what i was doing in life with surfing so uh yeah, yeah i've definitely had some fear um but yeah in terms of fear of a specific maneuver um, maybe our local spot, like on really steep, uh, days, uh, like taking off deep and late, like kind of on our main little like pseudo point peak. Like when I was in high school and even in my early twenties, uh, had fear on some days and now it's like, you know, now I can do it. Um, fear, of, fear of like physical harm or fear of public display of embarrassment if you didn't make it. Yeah, I think fear of physical harm, you know, yeah. um, at least that's how I rationalize it, you know, but I've definitely had uh, the social anxiety with surfing too, especially at like a spot, like our local spot where, you know, people are going to see you over and over, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. like when I was younger, like um, if there were a certain crew of people on it, I would just go down the beach because I didn't want to be involved in it because I didn't want to like display how bad of a surfer i might be you know and then like kind of inchworm back over there so yeah i guess that's like a like a social anxiety kind of element that um uh, if i had to kind of show my cards here that i as a surfer would carry like in in that like you know i think that just comes with being young and not being comfortable in your own skin like uh nowadays it's like i don't know if i'm that much better of a surfer but i don't really care i'm going for it because it's my time you know what i mean <laughs> like right, right. like I, i'm comfortable if i fall in front of a bunch of teenagers i really could care less you know yeah. but when i was like 15 years younger like that might really embarrass me so yeah, yeah absolutely and i think i think that you can apply it you said it, it it goes away with age i know adult learners that 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 feeling of being a grom again and feeling like they're judged it comes right back and i think that uh, in time, you do start to learn to be more comfortable in your own skin and say, hey, you know what? I accept the fact that I'm going to learn here. If, and if you don't, everything's going to take longer. Mm -hmm. If you have that fear of 
public embarrassment, let's say, and that fear of trying new things, it's just going to end up taking longer, you know, to, to get to where you want to progress to. But anyway, um, I wanted to go through this. I, I had highlighted a few things, and then I'll propose some questions for you that, that relate to surfing. Um, so uh, uh, Ralph talks about um, fear uh, is an intervening variable between sets of context-dependent stimuli and suites of behavioral response. So mm -hmm. really fancy way of saying that you've got to have some sort of stimuli to induce fear. And he talks about the different types, and there's also different responses to that. Um, so it's unlike a reflex where um, reflex is fear is much more flexible in nature. He talks about it being more adaptable, whereas reflex is more uh, stringent and less adaptive. So this got me thinking about the pros and how really a lot of their maneuvers and their reactions to the waves that they move are almost reflexive in nature. Mm -hmm. So I wondered like over time and through repetition because fear is adaptive and that was the greatest thing that I read about this and we'll talk a little bit more about that but this explains so much why you know like for example a surfer that has more experience starts that fear starts to diminish but it never goes away it just starts to diminish as you get more repetitions in the ocean in different situations and different times that fear starts to diminish and it and the and the physiological response you have to that fear starts to be more under control to so the point to your point of barrel riding i'm sure you did you had you know probably hundreds of close out barrels where you closed your eyes mm -hmm. and you had to go through those experiences and and as your body adapted to that i want i not a reflex but that physical change that you had that physiological mm -hmm. and psychological change of you know what i've been in this 99 times before this time i'm going to force my eyes open right and mm -hmm. as soon as you do that boom everything changes now and you make it out and you're like that made all the difference and it almost snowballs from there mm -hmm. yeah yeah no it's um i think you're onto it you know i think i think if we kind of had to tie a little bit of science and i'll, I'll just preface everything i'm going to say from here forward like I'm not a neurobiologist or yeah, nor am I. Any, anything like that, you know, but um, I'm very accustomed to dealing with um, individuals with fear. Um, and in many cases, we would say this fear is maladaptive, which is something that um, our author here isn't discussing. He's talking about fear as being an adaptive response. And in my mind, a reflex by definition is subcortical or subcortical like um uh or monosynaptic we can call it which is like something happens to the body it automatically reflexes and that impulse went from the extremity to the spinal cord and back and never went up to the brain right and fear like obviously um our author here talks about it quite a bit and he gets very if you choose to read the article i'm going to save you like a lot of like if you feel bad about your awareness of like anatomy if you read this article don't feel bad because yeah. <laughs> um, he, he he goes into a, like a tremendous amount of detail on like all this like neurophysiology and circuitry and um 
but like most people have heard of the amygdala. I mean, that's in the brain. And that uh, obviously has some sort of function when it comes to fear. And then he talks about how the amygdala has other functions as well. Um, so, yeah, it's like, um, it, I think it's like, there. there's like something tells me it's like you could practice things so many times that it becomes uh, like automatic, like a reflex. But the reality is there's probably some nuances that are actually happening in the cortical level. They're just happening at lightning speed. Kind of like we were talking about last time. Like if you do something with your non-dominant arm, that whole circuitry is less practiced. So it's slower. It's less refined. There's um, less motor units or neurons or however you want to kind of refer to it. But like, you know, again, it's um, it's practice. It's repetition. Um and obviously, the more you do it, the quicker you could get at it. Right. Yeah, no, I liked how he he did talk about fear um, and the different pathways through the amygdala. It's not just going into the amygdala and going out. There's several different combinations of different types of fear responses. And so, mm-hmm. as Jim pointed out, feel free to go to town on that section because it is, <laughs> it is very deep. And, and actually, this whole study was actually – just saying that we need more studies on fear. I mean, that's that's basically what he, he wrapped up saying. Um, I wanted to talk uh, real briefly about the, the types of fear section because he talks about, he says the most common distinction is between fear and anxiety. Fear mm-hmm. is an adaptive state elicited through confrontation with a threatening stimulus. Anxiety is more of a tonic state res- related to prediction and preparedness. Um, so I like this because I know a lot of surfers and talking about big waves at ocean beach, I would be very anxious as I paddled out. I'd be very anxious while I'm waiting for waves. And it was almost like this prediction of, it wasn't fear. It was like just this anxiousness, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, and just knowing it's kind of like. When a surfer freezes up, is it really fear-induced or is it anxiety-induced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. how you might be able to trick the brain once you once you kind of realize one over the other. And I'll give you a great example. So on our Indo trip, I had this uh, this uh, lady surfer who's an amazing lady surfer. You know her. She she surfed on the U.S. Oh, yeah. amateur team, mm-hmm. um, and she surfs amazing. And so we went out to Indo, and she resides in San Diego, where the waves don't get huge all that often. Um, and Indo is pretty powerful and very intimidating. So the first day, I, I noticed she—you could start to see the physical responses of fear in her face, eyes widening, um, hesitation, like I've never seen her before. All of her bad paddling habits came back like instantaneously, and I was like what the heck? Like she was a perfect example of battling before. And then all of a sudden, all these things happen. So, you know, over the course of a few days, we started to just chat more. And it was very clear to me that she was very uncomfortable in those types of ways. And I don't think it was necessarily size. And this was something that I kind of was talking with the group about is that I'm terrified of three foot pipe, but not terrified of 10 foot OB. You know, because three foot pipe is very different the way it breaks than 10 foot. So it's not size that really makes someone uncomfortable. And so with her, what we did was we slowly got her out on um, uh, on bigger and bigger days. 
And it was this one session in particular, I forget which day it was, but it was somewhere in the middle of the week. And I was filming and she came walking up after her session. She's like, man, that was so fun. I was like, yeah, take a look at the pictures and the video. And I was showing it to her and she's like, whoa, those waves were huge. And I was like, yeah, like you can surf. Like it's, it was this mind trick where she, it was kind of smaller when she first went out and then they started getting bigger and bigger, but not to the point at which her mind went into, oh, these are bigger waves than I've experienced. Oh my gosh, I'm in an uncomfortable situation. It was just to that point where it got big enough that that when we showed her the physical evidence that, listen, these are the, some of the biggest waves you've surfed and you surfed them very comfortably. And it was almost like we tricked the brain. She, and then the next day it was a little bit better. And it was almost this kind of this gradual upgrade. And, and she knew her limits, which was great. By the end of the day or end of the, the week, we had one of the biggest swells. And she's like, yeah, I'm not touching that. And so we went to another spot. But, but I think the way that we kind of trick the brain in that sense is to have somebody film you in more, you know, uncomfortable waves or, or, or hopefully if you could time it so the swell is rising, but not to the point where it gets out of your comfort level. That was the, the perfect storm that we could, I could have asked for. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how we, I don't know, tricking the brain. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. I think um, you're minus the filming aspect. Essentially what you're describing is what clinicians call graded exposure and our guy here, our author, does talk a little bit about that, but essentially like, you know, and I'm gonna bring it back to what I know, uh, like chronic pain, like there's a lot of fear with that's involved, typically fear of movement, what's referred to as kinesiophobia, um, attached with pain. Um, <clears throat> and so a common example of that would be like, hey, I got this chronic low back pain, I don't bend anymore because I believe bending is bad for your back and many people have told me that I've googled that I've confirmed that so I don't tie my shoes because I feel it in my back and I have this visual that my disc is going to explode and so yeah like one of the ways we get over that number one bending is not bad for your back we know that now um, there's different kind of variations of bending under different loads and things like that but generally speaking bending isn't bad for your back um, so an example of graded exposure would be to like be on your back and bring your knees to your chest or one knee to your chest, two knees to your chest, then sit and bend a little bit or do like a cat and cow. And um, the word trick kind of comes up because oftentimes one of my techniques is like I'll have people do that and people don't even realize that their spine is actually mechanically doing the same thing. And I'll go, you know, your, your back is bending there. And, um, and then they go, Oh, whoa, I didn't realize that. And then you can Jim, stop, like, Jim, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me contact my attorney. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and then you can take it a step further. So like, um, so yeah, you pick up like the, uh, the activity that, um, increases the perceived threat in the individual slowly over time. So it's like you, you, you could try to deconstruct it and try to gradually, increase the threat as time goes on and and i think in your case like at uh in uh, asu was uh i think she probably had enough time there to kind of like see it and then she was able to maybe have a day that like maybe she was borderline with and then 
when she did it, she realized she could do it. And so then like, it's like, okay, what's next? Oh, that's too big. Let me like yeah. find something in between. And, yeah. you know, guys like Greg Long kind of talk about that. Like, um, uh, like big wave surfing for him, he'll say didn't happen overnight. It was like, you know, he grew up surfing Orange County and then like looking for bigger waves around like the LA area and then going to Baja and surfing down there. And then before like going surfing places like Mavericks, it was like a very kind of tiered approach versus like, oh, okay, I got the skill set. Let me just surf Mavericks one day. And again, I say that like I'm not a big wave surfer, but I've just heard him speak about it. And in my mind, I go, oh, that's a very like, that's a, it's a form of graded exposure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that that's just a way that surf coaches, first, the, the, the sign a surf coach can see is, you know, he talks in this article about really facial expressions of fear are very prominent in humans and sometimes in uh, monkeys, but body postures, alarm calls, and they all elicit fear behavior. And so, for example, the eyes widening is one. Mm-hmm. So if you start to see your students freeze up a little bit, get more tense, their eyes are widening when they have to go, they start pulling back. These are all those kind of signals that say, hey, maybe we should take a more uh, graduated process towards where we're headed with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think this is really cool. And I and, and to explain to them that, that it's totally normal to feel the way that they feel and that with time, the fear is going to feel less, but even like the big wave guys that I work with, they're like, yeah, man, I'm still fearful out there. I've just learned to manage it. I've taken a separation between anxiety and fear, fear being a stimulus response. Like, and if I let that stimuli, uh, overcome my response to it, then I know I'm going to be in a worse situation. And so they've put themselves in enough training situations where they elicit that fear response. Um, that's where breath hold training really helps apnea training really helps um, going out and really putting themselves in in kind of fearful situations that they can easily kind of remove themselves from to elicit that fear response so they can get those repetitions over and over and over again and so um, I think that that's that's just the way to adapt that away from having a fearful response of of kind of shutting down and, and I love that you 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 brought up the whole, like in a barrel because there was a section here that I absolutely loved. Um, a major contextual factor in the evaluation of fear-inducing stimuli is whether or not escape might be possible, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, or whether the threat seems inescapable or not, right? So if you have something that escape is not possible uh, or that it is possible, then you're just gonna, your flight, response will happen you're gonna get out of there you're like when you're in the tube and you're like okay i can i can see i'm not i'm gonna close out i'm kind of fearful i'm gonna duck through the back right Mm -hmm. or you Mm -hmm. pin drop into the into the sandbar in the reef and you go out the back right Mm -hmm. and it's it's you don't stick with it right and Mm -hmm. so there's this point um if you think it's inescapable if you think i can't pin drop i can't cut through i've got to stay on my line and I've got to keep my eyes open. And I've got to just keep going in that direction and trust that I'm going to come out. That's your responses are freezing or defense. Mm-hmm. That's what he explains, right? So freezing would not be good. 
in that situation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. your defense response would be hyperactive reflexes almost of saying, okay, I'm going to survive this. I'm just going to stay and I'm going to stay focused and go through that. The first time you probably experience that, it's always going to be freezing. Mm-hmm. But to your point, as you as you experience that more and more and more, and that's why surf coaches say, if you want to learn how to barrel, catch a bunch of closeouts. If you want to mm-hmm. learn how to barrel, catch a bunch of closeouts. Mm-hmm. I would extend that, say, catch a bunch of closeouts with the idea that you're going to come out the other end. Mm-hmm. Don't go mm-hmm. into it thinking this is a closeout because you're already pre predisposition is that I'm going to either bail or jump off the back, right? You're mm-hmm. already in the back of your mind thinking it's a closeout. There's no way I'm going to get through it. But if you go in thinking I'm going to make it through, there's that switch in your brain that goes from freezing to defense right. and you're hyperactive at, at focusing on keeping those eyes open and making it through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, I like it. I think it reminds me of, uh, I heard Tom, Carol tell a story where he was on a boat trip with uh, some buddies and they were, I think it was Indonesia, but again, I'm going to butcher that reference, but he was, he was talking about um, some really big waves that him and his buddies were trying to get into and surfing and and they were kind of like messing around and they just started like um, body surfing them. So they had a jet ski and they would pretty much do like toe ins or toe ats and they would jump off and body surf them. And uh, it was kind of like, it sounded like they were doing it just to like crack each other up almost. And, um, but like it, like you can't like not get hammered when you body surf. Right. And so um, he was like, man, I was scared uh, to even surf it. But after getting crushed body surfing, like it changed the whole context of what surfing that wave was even like, like he had already gone through the worst part. Yeah. And so within that session he was quickly able to change the context of um fear and um i think it kind of so he made it less fearful by already taking like the worst part out of it and surviving right and so one of the things that uh ralph mentions in that article that i found um kind of fascinating that i've never really maybe thought about anxiety and fear like this but essentially he he describes it as a continuum so like anxiety, he describes as almost like a pre-fear and then you have fear and then you have panic. And so like, and then what you just described is kind of the panic stage. So when you encounter panic, then you're looking at like fight or flight. Do yeah. I freeze up or do I defend myself um, or do I flee? Right. And so, um, so if like, you know, anxiety is kind of like prepping the behavior Right. So anxiety could be good or bad because it's preparing you for your your response or your action. And, um, you know, another guy like I guess it's hard to not have a surf show where you're talking about fear and incorporate big waves. And um, if I was a big wave surfer, maybe I would give it more credibility. But um, I'll reference uh, Laird Hamilton. Laird Hamilton also talks about fear uh, surfing places like Jaws. And he's like, you know he's been doing it and he's obviously one of the best at it. It's not like he's not fearful out there. He says, he just knows how to use the fear for, um, action versus whereas others would be fearful and maybe freeze up, um, and kill themselves. Right. So like, so, um, again, that continuum of anxiety, fear, and panic arguably is probably like wider, uh, in, in, in practiced individuals and the ability to modulate it, which has to come at a cortical level, 
um, probably only happens through practice. Like any other motor skill in neural pathway, it happens from repetition. You know, that's kind of the whole idea of motor learning. And essentially what we're talking about here is um, repetition through um, a state of emotion, fear. And so just like you could practice uh, paddling in a pool and then take it to the ocean, you could practice uh, fear. Like if you were wanting to get into big waves, um, you might watch big waves on, uh, on YouTube. And uh, then you might take it a step further and go in the ocean. But like, you know, it's kind of that whole graded exposure. Like I, I, I mentioned um, the NOI group last uh, podcast and, and these guys um, more or less have come up with different techniques of graded exposure. And on the bottom end would be uh, visualization. Yeah. So like, like there are people out there suffering with pain so bad, like chronic low back pain, that if they even just think about bending, it hurts their back, right? Is that yeah. psychosomatic? Definitely not. It's very um, neurophysiological, but essentially what uh, guided imagery or visual, visualization is doing is it's activating the same centers in the brain or the same areas in the brain that actually doing it does just at a lesser degree. Yeah. So if your nervous system is sensitive to uh, that whole concept of threat, bending, then you have less sensitive or you have higher sensitivity or less threshold, however you want to look at it. Yeah. And so you don't start with the stuff I just talked about, right? You don't start with bending your back. You start with thinking about it. And then they take you through um, different kind of transitions from there, from left or right discrimination, um, which which kind of goes along that whole mirror neuron concept we talked about last time. So yeah. like um, an example of that would be like, let's say, let's say my right hand has complex regional pain syndrome. It has really intense pain. I can't even look at this hand, right? It hurts so bad if I think about it. So left, right discrimination might be, I go through a magazine and I start like circling um, all the right hands that I see on images, right? And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to train reaction in the brain to focus on uh, an individual's right hand in like an advertisement of a magazine. Seems silly, but what it's doing is it's activating the same center at the brain or the same centers of the brain that like, uh, you know, visualization would do. It's just a rung up from that. And then from there, you could take it to the opposite hand. Um, so you'd probably start um, left hand, then right hand with circling. And what we know um, with people with chronic issues is um, there's a delay in the timing. So like if I have chronic right hand pain, I'm quicker to be able to spot out left hands in images versus right hands. I can do it, but it's slower, right? And so that's not an accident. That has to do with central changes that actually happen or plastic changes that happen in how our brain perceives our right hand, i.e., our threatened appendage, and um, and we lose the signaling a little bit. It gets what we call smudged, um, meaning the areas in the brain are less refined. They're more diffuse, which might explain the diffuse nature of pain, mm -hmm. right? So when I have chronic pain, very rarely does it follow an anatomical distribution that makes sense to doctors, right? Like we're, doctors are very used to going, oh, Where's your pain? Is it on your pinky? Okay, that's C8. Thumb is C6. Oh, it's here? That's a C7 pattern, right? And so the minute you tell the doctor my whole hand is numb, 
he or she goes, okay, well, we have to think of like, uh, is this a stroke? Is this a spinal cord injury? No, it could just be a sensitive nervous system right. because complicated changes happen to the brain. The, the, there's cortical smudging, right? And, um, and so the positive thing is, is you can re refine the brain through the same plastic changes with graded exposure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that would all go along that whole continuum of anxiety, fear, panic. You can kind of match the graded exposure to where you're at. You know, if you have less anxiety and fear, then you do more stimulus to activate those pathways. If you have more, then obviously you do less. Yeah. And then going back to kind of Laird talking about not, not, not having fear, but being able to use it. He's he probably knows consciously when that fear starts and that's when he locks into some sort of mode uh, or process in his brain or his body that makes the movements and what he's doing, his behavior positive when it has that fear induced response. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So instead of having an anxiety response or a fearful response, he actually has conditioned it so that he has a positive, more focused response when he feels that fear. And that's, I know when I started Big Wave Serving, that was kind of, I started to feel that where I was like, okay, this is bigger than I've ever surfed. I need to be hyper-focused on the basics, the fundamentals. Just get up, to, just catch the wave first. Just get to my feet. Like keep it just like you almost simplify things into this checklist that's the way my brain works Mm -hmm. and i like the idea of this spectrum because if you're super anxious when you go surfing whether it's two foot or ten foot or big and massive barrels or just mushy waves if you're fearful or anxious i should say if you're anxious in that situation you know fear actually has a physiological response your heart rate goes up you start breathing differently there are ways that you can manage and hack those situations to lower the anxiety so that you start a little bit further up on the on the spectrum as mm-hmm. you as you put it so instead of starting from the very very beginning of i'm super anxious and you make it worse you can start maybe a quarter of the way up you're still anxious but you're able to at least quell the physiological fear responses that you might be feeling mm-hmm. through breathing through uh, going to a happy place Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's all sorts mm-hmm. of different ways. And I know in my level one course, I talk about breathing for paddling. And one of them is, you know, how do we get into a relaxed state and lower mm-hmm. the heart rate even when we're under exertion? Mm-hmm. So there, there definitely, and there's tons of stuff out there for breathing. It's, it's mm-hmm. all kind of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But I really like that. that was, that's pretty cool. Super um, cool stuff. And then I think this last little note I had, which I starred, uh, we talked a little bit about it. A class of social stimuli that commonly induces anxiety and is likely unique to humans is public evaluation. Mm-hmm. That's all surfing is. Surfers are the worst, man. We are the worst. Yeah. Actually, there's a podcast where uh, a guy talks about it. It's, uh, his name is Scott Bass, and he, he says, surfers are the worst. We are. Dude, dude, I got shit the other day at our local beach for having a hooded suit. <laughs> Like, like some guy came up to me, so aren't you like super hot in that suit? I'm like, no. And he's like, I can't believe you're wearing a hooded suit. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, he just made me feel bad for like wearing a hooded suit. And I'm like, man, I'm just trying to like 
maybe the maybe I have a bald spot. Maybe I'm trying to have some UV protection. Like maybe uh, you know, maybe I have an ear condition you don't know about. Like back mm-hmm. off, man. Like but yeah. you know, yeah, that's the thing. Like um, and we kind of do it to ourselves because I mean, surfing is obviously a very subjective thing. Like when we start critiquing it, like we try to objectify it with contests like that score and this score. But the reality is, it's the whole thing is subjective and. Um, and so when you when you bring in that subjective element, you then yeah, I mean if that's the whole like kind of idea of the sport, you're going to get these kind of like you know social kind of pressures that kind of come along with it, you know. Yeah, well, and, and to your point earlier is is at least one thing that I've uh, tried to cope with with the social public and embarrassing moments like that is that person and i justified in my head that person has insecurities that i don't know about right maybe they maybe they got up that morning thinking oh should i grab my suit with a hood mm-hmm. no 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 i'm gonna make, be made fun of and now he turns around and is making fun of you for that but it was his insecurity that kind of drew that out in him so that's mm-hmm. the way that i cope with it is that at, at this at our age now it's like well I'm going to just do what I'm having fun doing and that I'm comfortable with. And, and mm-hmm. I found that that opens up so many more doors of opportunity for you once you get rid of that, that, that anxiety over public humiliation. And mm-hmm. as, a, as an adult learner, as a, as a new learner to anything, mm-hmm. um, it, it, har- it hampers your progression when you are hung up on how you look while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. or um, you feel sh- ashamed of what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I know surfers that won't even ride like mid-lengths or longboards if they're a short boarder because uh, like they don't want other people to see them going through that, you know? Yeah. Whether it's like the boards itself represent uh, a social, you know, you know, group that you don't want to be involved with or you don't want to get on it and look unskilled at something and you don't want to like walk back to your car with your head hung between your legs you know what I mean like yeah there's like there's so much to that like and again I work with a lot of surfers in pain um so I I know I know the strategy of like oh I'm just not going to surf because like my back hurts when I pop up and I don't want to see I don't want people to see me fall so I'm just not surfing and then that's kind of like a really like coupled response so it's like again like you know last week I talked about kind of some of that like Pavlov's dog stuff that classical conditioning what we kind of refer to as maybe the uh, um, pain hypersensitivity uh, theory which is okay so I have a context of popping up and now my back hurts when I do it so uh the more i've done that the more um i've kind of associated popping up with pain and uh, i'm doing all these things to kind of help with it but now what's coming into that spectrum maybe it's not fear but there's a social anxiety but remember uh ralph talked about anxiety along the same kind of spectrum is uh yeah so now i don't want to go to the beach because i don't want people to see me pop up slow or labored or or fall because my back pinches so now i'm not exposing myself to it so i'm missing out on the opportunity to go through some of those like neuroplastic changes that we're trying to make um and i'm also just like uh 
taking myself out of practice too. So I'm, yeah. I'm doing two things that are negative based off social anxiety. Whereas like, you know, I've been like with people like, what would happen if you just got on a fun board and just like found a beach with no one there so you don't feel pressured and just like let it hurt a little bit and like, yeah. like go through the repetitions and let it be clunky, but like get better at it and convince yourself that like you can do it without pain. But like, that's kind of somewhere in the middle of that like graded exposure. But again, uh, now I'm generalizing here. Surfers um, uh, sometimes will judge each other based off these superficialities. And that can be really debilitating when you're trying to like get back into um, surfing with the context of pain involved. So Yeah, I know. I, um, I have anxiety about taking like the biggest set waves with everybody watching. Yeah. And blowing it, you know, or yeah. doing like really when you when you read about high performance surfing, uh, doing a high degree of difficulty maneuver right at the very beginning of the wave, you know, from a competition point of view is is seen as something that you want to start doing. So if and the power of the wave is there. So you're going to have a higher likelihood of actually making it. But most people wait until the very end of the wave to do their high degree of difficulty maneuver where it's a little bit weaker at times, right? And mm -hmm. so what if you got the set wave and you go for that high degree of difficulty maneuver right off the bat and you blow it and that set wave goes by unridden. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there's this social anxiety that you get over that and so you end up not doing that, trying that maneuver and therefore you never get to that progression to mm -hmm. do that. So you, it's almost like you have to keep doing it over and over and over again until mm -hmm. you realize that even before you paddle out, you've already been judged. <laughs> yeah, totally. By all your fellow servers. It doesn't matter if you catch waves. You've already been sized up in every lineup, even mm -hmm. before you paddle out. And as soon as you kind of get that and you're like, you know what? I don't care how I'm judged. I'm just going to go out and have fun. It, it opens up, like you said, more opportunities for improvement. Yeah, and, and you know, we should probably play the counterpart to that like again bringing it back to these guys like laird hamilton look at like how they got good at big wave surfing like very rarely is it a solo pursuit each one of these guys that's got really accomplished in the big wave world they had like little social groups whether it was the guy on the ski the guy on the boat um you know they all have their kind of like their little groups and so um <clears throat> the social thing can be an anxious thing but it could also be like a sense of positive reinforcement too if yeah. you're around the right people with the same goal but um yeah you know I, I i tend to look at things as like things that produce anxiety um are usually an opportunity for growth right yeah. like just generally speaking like if if i'm nervous about something in this day and age like there's very like um things that people get nervous of like you know social interactions and um public speaking and you know those kind of things like if you're nervous to do those things number one you're probably normal and number two it's <laughs> probably uh your body's way of trying to prepare the right action so it just means you care you know um yeah. versus like some people with really bad anxiety will feel that and then go i'm do i'm moving away from that Right. Right. Like I'm not going to public speak. I'm going to not go to that thing that makes me feel like that because it's yeah. really uncomfortable, you know, and 
you know, again, I'm not a psychologist, but like I do try to help people the best I can that have anxiety with things like movement. And um, when there is anxiety there, if you can deconstruct it and build it back up, I mean, there is opportunity for growth. Um, yeah. So. I always get, I, you know, one of the first things that I do in my courses, my level one courses is I, is I, I thank them and, and tell them that, Hey, listen, it is amazing what you're doing at humbling yourself to take basically several steps back to learn how to paddle, Mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of me saying you didn't learn your ABCs correctly. So you're going to have to learn to rewrite and re re speak. Because mm-hmm. paddling is one of those things where, you know, you could get to the intermediate level and then plateau and and be embarrassed to have to go back and do paddling or feel mm-hmm. like until they hit a point where they injure themselves or they're like finally just fed up. That's usually what I get. And it's mm-hmm. it's this sense of humbling yourself and saying, hey, listen, you know, let's take several steps back in essence to make your progression break through that plateau. And it is very difficult for many, many many people which mm-hmm. I mean this is uh, this leads us actually into our segment uh, I know we did on our first week wetsuits on backwards kind of an embarrassing moment surfing related and it, talking about fear talking about anxiety talking about embarrassing moments I'm sure you and I when I look back at those embarrassing moments when I felt embarrassed at the time they were really just learning moments for the most part Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I look back on them, so I'll I'll, I'll share one with you, and then I'll, I want to hear if you've come up with one different than last time. I remember uh, my surfing group liked to film, and they like to put like little Taylor Steele esque cuts together with music and do a premiere and all that stuff, right? And so I always felt like anxious being filmed, mm-hmm. but I remember I had enough clips. And they sh- and I hadn't seen the clips yet, and they showed it at the quote-unquote premiere of all our friends. And I look up on screen, and it was like Rob's section, and I was just like, "That's not me, no, no." Now <laughs> that, that turn, that was there? yeah, yeah. That it was like Kelly Slater lay back 360 aerial, and like that was not what I did. That's not me, and I was so embarrassed that for that whole section, I didn't want to ever be filmed again. But I look back on it and that was when I, I kind of humbled myself and said, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be riding these boards anymore. Maybe I should really work on some fundamentals here uh, to try to progress a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think filming is one of those things that it's very embarrassing to watch yourself on film, but it's probably the best learning experience that you could have. Just even without a coach, just looking at yourself going, that's what I look like? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. you just keep doing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. What, what's a, another embarrassing moment for you? Well, I, I've, I've had a very similar uh, kind of thing with filming. You know, you think you surf like Kelly Slater and uh, until you watch footage or see pictures of yourself. I remember getting, I was in Costa Rica with a couple friends. I was, um, what was I, 21 years old? maybe and um and uh when you're on a surf trip at like a surf hub there's surf photographers on the beach right and they're just rattling off photos all day long this is how these people make money and then they come to you because they know you're a tourist and then they go hey i got a bunch of great shots of you whatever 15 bucks for this back then it was cd right so i remember buying the cd with these photos on 
uh, of me and like again we like put it in the computer and like my buddies and I are all like watching each other and I remember like clicking through these pictures going like there's no way in hell that's me and, like I <laughs> like I see my face I see my board shorts I see my board I'm like yeah like everything's right but like man that guy sucks at surfing and it's like <laughs> and it's like the biggest like yeah like it, yeah no I've been there I think a lot of people have been there now I joke like like you've even had pictures of me and you're like oh I got a picture of you I'm like I need to see that in a dark room before I let any, <laughs> anyone else see it <laughs> yeah no I've definitely been there um uh I, I feel like I've been embarrassed so many times surfing just I mean I've been surfing since I was like you know 11 years old so it's like um stand-up surfing I've been boogie boarding or bodyboarding we don't call yeah. it boogie boarding anymore right yeah. but i uh started um like riding waves when i was like six or seven and um but yeah so it's like inevitable that something embarrassing would happen like like when i first like uh got my driver's license right like i'd go to the beach and i had one experience where i put the board like vertical leaning on the car yeah and of course the wind blew it over in front of all the cool guys and my board just like crunched the rail in front of everyone i'm like oh yeah i know what i'm doing <laughs> you know like i can't tell like i've tripped running out to the lineup like you know flat on my face oh but, that's um, always a fun one yeah but a really embarrassing one moment that i had kind of thinking about what i would share with this was i was surfing in santa cruz at one of like uh one of these like kind of coveted west side spots and um for those that don't know, like a lot of those spots are like mid low tide spots and they're like that for a reason, not only because the waves break better, but like there's real no good way to get down to these spots. Like there's like a cliff with rocks and then at low mid tide, there's like maybe a 10 to 20 foot stretch of beach. Yeah. You can like kind of get on. Yeah, and it's like a goat in. trail down to the yeah. bigger rocks and then you scramble down. Yeah. And so um, when the tide's high, that a lot of those beaches aren't there and so it kind of like fills up the bowl and then like if you were to go in you'd have to like you know think of like going midway down the goat trail and then you'd have to like jump into the water which um is really sketchy depending on the spot you do it and so i was surfing with a buddy this is like i don't know 12 to 15 years ago and um we were surfing right before dark because we were staying overnight in Santa Cruz and like we were just really excited to surf and it was like a mid high tide going high right at dark and I was like oh man so good no one's out there we're on it and um and this is back when I had a little bit more like um uh uh courage I mean stupidity as a surfer like <laughs> like it, it was bigger like it was you know 10 plus foot faces and um I'm you know I'm out there and then uh next thing you know it's time to go in and my buddy went in the same way uh we went out and he ended up like crawling up this rock and like i was like wow that looked really sketchy i'm looking at this from the water and i'm like yeah. oh shit how am i going to do this you know and so like i'm like paddling back in towards the cliff and i'm like kind of playing frogger because the waves are so consistent and like i realized that there's no beach there i'm like oh man like i don't even know how to do this i have to like come right into this middle rock and then, like, I'm going to have to do something to my board and, like, climb out while these, like, you know, successive waves are trying to drill me on this rock. And um, and I'm, like, there for a half hour trying to figure it out. And I'm getting closer to the rock and my buddy's on the rock. 
like yelling, hey, another wave coming, another wave coming. And I'm like going back out to sea and duck diving another 10 waves and then trying to come back in. And I'm like, I'm going to die out here, you know? And um, next thing you know, there's like 20 people on the cliff. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, that's that's the perfect amphitheater, that whole, yeah. the whole cliffs. Yeah, and if you know anything about Santa Cruz culture, like, no one cares. Like, yeah. they're all drinking Slurpees as entertainment, watching me freak <laughs> the hell out. <laughs> they're like, should we call the Coast Guard? No, this looks entertaining. Nah, this is way too fun. This is, like, <laughs> yeah. better than Judge Judy right now. Totally. And so, um, eventually, I just found a seam and went for it. And I remember getting up to the rock, ditching my board, and just kind of, like, spackling myself <laughs> like a barnacle like on this rock and just took like three waves like, <laughs> ha, ha, like and just like ended up like like don't let go of the rock don't let go like it's trying to pull me off and um <clears throat> like took three waves super hard where i like just white knuckled the rock and ended up crawling up the rock with my board kind of dangling behind me on the leash and i made it and i was happy to uh make it and i just remember these like santa cruz guys like giving me the sarcastic clap like <laughs> you know and i just felt like felt like such a loser but like i don't know like i was scared and embarrassed and that's, so that's a my great story. great story <laughs> and if, if any of the listeners have ever been to santa cruz west side you know exactly what he was feeling there yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so. <laughs> well hey man thanks for sharing um like i said those embarrassing moments are learning opportunities and uh stepping stones once you realize they're not all that bad now yeah, you know no, not I... to go out at night with a rising tide yeah no no i i hear you no i appreciate you bringing up the topic i think it's good to um share vulnerabilities and um we all got them and uh it's okay like those are opportunities for growth and um yeah. it's okay to laugh at yourself sometimes too during the process so <laughs> all um, the time man all the, all time. the time yeah so. <laughs> well cool man that's all i got uh for this week i still have uh, a few topics i'm still working out the math on um uh, but i'm cool. excited to do this again next week you, you around for the holiday uh Oops. yeah we're just we're just hanging out um right. so cool. yeah we're around cool cool we'll uh we'll figure out a time to to do this again next week and thank you guys for watching and listening um feel free to subscribe rate us a five star we like five right jim five's good five five is pretty good yeah yep. or or keep it a speakeasy and just keep it to yourself We're, either way we thank you so much for the feedback as well we've got a ton of great emails um really really awesome to hear from you guys that that means more to us than a five star honestly um it's just hearing that you guys are enjoying it and are entertained so until next week uh we'll see you in the water see ya see you guys <laughs>